The Filmmakers Podcast is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Subscribe for regular bonus content and special episodes. The Vodfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 282 of The Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Uh, skiing. Close. Something to do with film. Uh, developing and darkroom techniques. No, no, no. We're, we're, it's not really that. It's more to do with the other side. You know, where you hold the camera and you point it at actors. No. No. From indie film to studio... <laughs> Everything in between. Well, I've seen the podcast. I've watched it. <laughs> I've seen the podcast. How to make them, how to get them made, and how to try not to... Watch them. Fuck it up. In our very, very humble opinion, I am Giles. Ol- I am Giles Alderson. I am the writer and director of The Dare mm. and um, the producer of Th- Three Day Millionaire coming out yep. next year mm-hmm. um, and World of Darkness. Oh, yeah. These are all the ones you've done so far. Yeah. Those are the ones I care about. Um, the Stranger in a Bed, which I didn't do. You didn't, but you're in it. Yeah. I am in it. A um, couple of films you did miss out there, Andy, is uh, Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot, which we, we did together, uh, and also Wolves of War, which oh, will Wolves be out, um, I believe, at the end of summer. Oh, it's coming out. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> My fellow host here today is Andrew Roger, or as he said to me, I am Andrew Roger, and I am the Dipper. Or the DOP, <laughs> or the cinematographer. Of I never really went to how to how to say it. Is that is it dubbed? Dubbed. I am the dopped of films such as uh, The Dare, <laughs> <laughs> Arthur and Merlin, oh. World of Darkness, mm-hmm. Three Day Millionaire. Yep. So you're all right, aren't you? Really? I'm all right. You're not prolific as me, but you know, I'm very available. So if anyone needs an Who amazing dupter, just any DP at all, available. Yeah. Do you have a website or anything nope. that bit no? Nope. Do you have any show or anything that people could see? No. No. Do you have any personality that anyone could hear? <laughs> More to the point. Today on the show, we have Tom Palmer, as mentioned. He is the producer of All My Friends Hate Me. It uh, is a fantastic movie. It's a great movie. Me and Andy watched it last night. Not together, sadly. In spirit. In spirit. And I thought it was brilliant. I really did. I thought the performances were fantastic. I thought the film was just great. Uh, and it surprised me, the dramas that happened uh, for him to get this film made. Because there were a lot especially when it comes to raising the finance when it came to one of the original producers letting him down so badly and letting the film down so badly uh, that he is now no, no longer on the project and just didn't bring any of the money that he said he would Tom goes into great detail about that and I think it's really honest and brave of him to do so so really do thank him on the socials reach out to him and support by watching this film because what you went through to get it made and to be so brilliant is huge he also talks about how it was a huge crash course for him to jump into the producer shoes suddenly to find himself all on his own doing it and the only way to get through that was by reading uh, amazing filmmaking books and uh, listening to podcasts such as this 
um, which is in his words, not mine. He also talks about how the film got into the Tribeca Film Festival and how that made a huge difference to him. And he talks about investors and waterfalls and how you should pitch to those investors. He talks about uh, how he planned to shoot on iPhones, writing and casting it, and the importance of a good composer and how useful ADR can be. Absolutely. He also talks about trust, how you have to have trust, but it can be broken in an instant, mental health on set, and why he used a PR company to promote the film when they got into film festivals. It's a great tip. He's full of them, actually. So that is all coming up for you very, very soon. The film All My Friends Hate Me is in 43 cinemas right now, this week. Go do support. This is um, the week of the 20th of June. And then the following week, it will be in the Castle Cinema in Hackney. So that's, I think, the week of the 27th. So go support. Do watch this movie it's brilliant. You'll love it. But first of all, because Andy's not being on for a little while, I thought we'd say hello to Andy. Hello, Andy. How are you? What have you been up to? Hello, well, boys and girls. <laughs> I'm Andrew Roger. Roger. How are you? I'm all right. I've been busy. I've been a busy boy. You have been a busy boy. You have a, a movie that you've just finished shooting that you're not allowed to say the name of, but it does involve... I think I can say the name of it. Oh, go on then. It's Jaws... Seven. Jaws 7, it's finally. Not. I'm so glad yeah. that... Oh, oh, it, no, no, oh it's, it's not. not. It's called No Way Up. And it's on IMDb, so I can talk about it. But um, yeah, it features Colin Meaney. It does feature Colin Meaney, who also was uh, one of the stars of Three Day Millionaire, which will be out either later this year or, or next year. So, you've, But you've been incredibly busy. I've been busy. It was busy year last year. A, couple, a few films. 3DM, did you talk about? 3 Yeah. Airplane <laughs> movie, which is great. Comes out next year. Um, Airplane movie now just a minute is this that is actually an aeroplane or is it an aeroplane that's a it's an aeroplane actually i don't even know if i can say that <laughs> well could I, please let not that be true what i, I just don't know said. if i can what have you been up to Josh? Mm. so we are like now two and a half weeks away from wrapping three-day millionaire fully has it been scored yes segway Good segue there, Andy, because one of the things Tom does bring up is the importance of score in a film uh, and the importance of ADR. The importance of score in a film, for me, I think it's it's really vital. I love working with composers on the score. It elevates... I didn't ask, but... It yeah. elevates the films. Uh, it really does. It makes such a difference, you know, because you edit without score. You put fake score on or you attempt score. And then it's so nice when you work with a composer and you can really tweak out those moments. It does really lift it, doesn't it? It, it makes it... It's the last thing that it, it takes it from being just an edit to being a full movie. It's that last bit of polish that, you know, you can change the emotion of a scene yeah music's important a lot of people do forget about that actually and getting a great composer on and really thinking about who that composer is and why they would work for your film but also the importance within that of getting a good sound mixer who can work with your composer and having that great sound mixer who can work with the sound you got from set yeah I mean I think, I think that's really important I mean uh, even as a DP I'll say this like especially for low budget movies it's that the sound is way more important than the visuals for that kind of thing as long as you're good performances just telling the stories if you can't hear the sound or if it's a bit echoey or like not good mm. in some way that will show up more than the visuals at that level that will be less important so like having good sound and getting the time to get it correct on set um, is, is I think even more important at that level even if you're shooting on iPhones especially if you're shooting on iPhones because even though the subject matter of this you, it could be that obdoc kind of style that could be 
you know, you're not thinking about the visuals, although this is beautifully filmed, but I think if it had been a different movie, you could have got away with it. Um, mm. As long as the sound had been good, you, you, you'd still capture it. Yeah, totally agree with that. Totally agree. Because it's something they were thinking about doing, and it's something Tom talks about uh, in the episode, is they were originally going to shoot, well, my friends hate me, on two iPhones. So it, I think that's fascinating where the film's got to to now. But all those things you'll hear on this week's episode. Shout out to um, some amazing people I met in Cannes, actually. I wrote them down. Uh, I didn't write them all down, so apologies if I missed you out. But some of the people I did see when I was there, uh, Mark Hampton, uh, Elise Finity and Estelle Gerard. So lovely to meet you guys uh, for the first time. Julian Kostoff, uh, Tony Cook and Christina, Johnny Grant, Sandra Andreas, uh, James Kermack, Luke Cutforth, Charlie Field, Luke and Ed, uh, The Big Man, Jack Spring, uh, Nicholas Stewart Hill, Stefan DeBart, Serena and Faith. Huge shout outs to you. Thank you for making my can even more enjoyable experience than it was. And uh, if you've noticed the Filmmakers Podcast logo, you've noticed it, Andy, right? I've seen it. You've seen it <laughs> many times, getting spammed all over people's Facebook and Instagram feeds. That was designed by Lois Creative. And I thought after all this time, it's about time to give her a shout out. Not only because she deserves it, but because everyone's seen that logo for years and it's, it's worked very well for us. So... This was designed by Lois Creative. She does branding, she does design for print, website design, uh, infographics, social media graphics. She's very creative and she can do your movie decks, bits and pieces like that. Anything you need, do reach out to her. Website is loiscreative.co.uk. She also happens to be my sister. So nepotism aside, <laughs> don't let that put you off. So yes, if you do want any of those things, honestly, I highly recommend her work. Have a look at the website. Link to that is in the show notes and she's fabulous. So huge shout out to Lois. You're the best. Right. Shall we get to the episode, Andrew Roger? Let's do it. This is myself and Andrew Roger talking to the fantastic Tom Palmer all about his film, All My Friends Hate Me. You're going to love all of this. Sit back, relax, and... I have some tea. Yep, and... A biscuit. And... Listen. Correct. Enjoy. Hello. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Honestly, it's a pleasure to meet you, man. It really is. You too, Jos. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for letting me letting me on the show. I'm a big fan of it, so I sort of feel like I, I know you already. I know I know this voice well, so um, it's, it's like, it's a bit <laughs> odd that we're just meeting for the first time, if that doesn't sound too creepy. No, it doesn't. I've had that quite a bit, especially in Cannes and uh, in events I go to. People go, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. recognise your voice, and it's, it's kind of odd, because I used to do it to people as well now people are doing it to me you kind of go yeah, oh yeah. i don't know what to say when people say it and like should i say something funny i've definitely not got that in me but <laughs> do the intro do, do the, the intro, just do yeah. the intro. Yeah, <laughs> like, i'm jumped straight in with this you forget how he's to get the money how how was it tom for you you've gone straight into the deep end i mean there's um <laughs> <laughs> there's a short story and a long story to our financing yeah the short story is we are yeah we're privately financed with like 30s sort of investors investing anything from like two grand to 20 grand, which, you know, objectively is a lot of money, but like in film terms was a real kind of like scraping stuff together, patching things over, whatever. But yeah, the longer story is like more of a sort of cautionary tale involving a film financier who sort of said he was going to get like a lot of the budget and then sort of didn't. And it was all a bit late and suddenly the train had kind of left the station and I was like 
producing this thing with a hole in the budget having never produced anything before and having to like do another round of financing to patch things up and that around then so we sort of we sort of wrapped with this kind of big drama having unveiled that the guy who was sending us emails about investors and how much they were going to invest was kind of making it up um and was uh i i guess just kind of in it for the i don't know you know high-fiving the actors on set um, sort of feeling like an exec, all that kind of thing. So that was kind of like a really, really low point and potentially the worst two months of my life. We wrapped and we had this hole in the budget and I had to kind of just basically get out there and and patch it up, which luckily we did. Um, really scrappy. There was like some quite good loans going at the time because um, oh, it was mate. COVID. Uh, wow. And we had to kind of, you know, and then obviously we some of the top team um, had to kind of, you know, just discuss like taking an equity deal and blah, blah, blah. Managed to pay all the crew. And it was around then that I started listening to this podcast, actually, because we suddenly wrapped. And and not only did I think this guy was going to provide a big chunk of the budget, I also thought he was like the one that knew what what he was doing. (laughs) And, uh, and uh, And so suddenly we wrapped with this film the shoot had gone brilliantly you know we were really happy with the cast with with the way that we'd like managed to capture the story on a really tight budget but um i had no idea what to do with a with a film that you've just made and you know i didn't know about sales or distribution or festivals or getting get how to get your tax credit or like all this Mm -hmm. stuff and that was around lockdown actually and so i just kind of for about three or four months just like listened to podcasts and read books and spoke to people and gradually kind of patched together some some knowledge on on this whole thing which were your favorite books uh that you think that really helped the most the film entrepreneur book by Alex Ferrari is really good, um, mm-hmm. although it had a terrifying opening, which basically <laughs> yes. describes a film that was pretty much exactly our budget, where the strategy yep. is get it into Sundance and then, you know, make millions of pounds. And then hope, yeah, exactly. Good luck with that strategy. And I was listening to this thinking, oh my God, that is our film. <laughs> um, and so that was really frightening, but gave me a kick up the arse. And then it kind of, I guess it then became a kind of strength that actually we had we had wrapped without any sales or distribution attached because a we could creatively really like do whatever we wanted um Mm -hmm. and the director um and myself and tom the other writer and sam the editor you know we had we all we've all worked a bit in tv and we had this really weird experience where we would be looking at edits and kind of just waiting to you know pass the edit up up the chain and wait for those notes from the exec or from the commissioner or whatever uh, and then we suddenly realised it was just us. It was just like there it was just us giving notes. There's no one to pass it to. So it was absolutely. So, so it was like terrifying, but also I think liberating for for everyone that wasn't used to that. So that was an advantage. And then um, you know when we did finally get into Tribeca, which was just really lucky that they saw it at the right time. You know we just went the the kind of film freeway route because um, we didn't have that sales agent to kind of muscle our way into any of these festivals um once we got into Tribeca that kind of gave us a bit more leverage to to go into negotiations with with um sales agents and obviously then onto distributors so in a way it kind of worked out well in the end and I'm kind of glad we had that that freedom but 
as I say, the kind of the two or three months uh, after we wrapped when I was just like, I do not know what I'm doing um, and I have this film on my hands um, and it's all down to me was, yeah, it was, was, was scary. That responsibility is huge and it is frightening, but I, I really want to jump back. But I would also want to just touch on real quickly so that our listeners sort of get this. Were you working with another producer throughout this time? And then when they didn't come with anything with the money and you went, okay, you're not working with us anymore. Is that what happened? Yeah, kind of. Although I wouldn't call him a producer. He was the fine, he was the film financier and he was going to, I think, take an exec credit and was kind of very much. <laughs> stepping back from the from the like hands-on production of it which in retrospect you know might have been his sort of get out but you at the time did you know that did you know that he wasn't a hands-on producer uh, yeah good question at the time no it was all kind of happening slowly he kind of implanted the idea to 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 make this film for the budget that we made it for because we had written a, a script that we hoped we could shoot on iPhones over a week for no budget. Wow. Wow. Okay. With friends. That was the point. It was like eight characters, one house. Let's just like, let's just make something because we were a bit frustrated. Totally. Indie filmmakers, actors, writers, let's make something. I love that attitude. Great. Don't think, just do. That's that's the maverick um, turn of phrase. Um, <laughs> uh, so, we, uh, so we wrote this script that was kind of born of... I guess a bit of frustration from writing, you know, treatments and and working in TV and kind of like rarely having that connection of like writing something and then like seeing it on the screen and like having that full creative control over the process. Mm -hmm. So we were going to just shoot it on iPhones, raise as much as you might raise for short film or something. And then we had some meetings with some other companies that were like, no, 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 you want to budget up, you want to you want to get a, a big Hollywood star in and you want to make it a $5 million film and then it can be financed, which, you know, just blew my mind at the time. <laughs> You're like, sure. Yeah, of course. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. route sounds brilliant. Let's do, why, yeah, yeah, why yeah. didn't we think of that route? Of course. Let's do um, it. <laughs> so yeah, the problem being, obviously you've got to get the star and, you know, also it just felt such a, you know, it felt like really the antithesis of, of, of the creative spark, which was like, let's do this project ourselves. Um, so it felt weird to kind of like, you know, hope that it might get optioned and put on a shelf and, you know, maybe one day be packaged up. So we were set on this kind of, let's do it on iPhones thing. And then um, we got a great director on board called Andrew Gaynord, who has done things like Statelet's Flats and the characters on Netflix and really well respected. Um, and he wanted to do something kind of a bit more raw. I think he'd done a lot of Netflix stuff in the US and like, you know, I think he was, he was proud of some of it and, but he just sort of felt like he was sort of maybe, you know, been through the machinery a bit and um, had maybe become a bit jaded. So he wanted to kind of like do a hands-on project and he knew our stuff and we've worked with him before and stuff. So it felt like a really good, you know, meeting of minds and that having him on board kind of opened up the opportunity to kind of go this, this middle way of like, raising a, 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 a tight but decent budget where we could shoot it properly. Um, we could get some some decent cast and, and we could make it into a sort of a proper, like, you know, screen-worthy movie. And what was that original budget, do you think? Can you remember what that first, when you were saying we're going to shoot this on iPhones? Oh, we. I mean, we were just writing it on the back of a fag packet, but like probably like, we were like 30 grand, 20 grand, something like that. Right, whatever you could scrape together. And we were like, let's just, you know, literally like, no one's going to get paid, let's just go and have some fun. Um, 
you know, that, that probably would have been a total disaster. But, but at the time, it felt like it made a lot of sense. And then when Andrew came on board, we were kind of talking more about the sort of £200,000 budget and, um, you know, a, a proper shoot and proper actors and, and whatever. Um, and that was all very exciting. Um, but we couldn't find the right company to kind of, you know, be invested in that in that scale of a production. And that was when we met this guy who we were set up with by a reputable intermediary. And this guy was like, he had a good pitch. He was like, you know, I think it is all about the £200,000 budget version and there's too much pressure on first time filmmakers and like obviously it takes a long time to you know wait to hear back from the public funding bodies and you know it's crazy to make a kind of like you know big five million dollar version for your first film so this is the way you should do it you know take a risk and kind of like you know um keep keep the budget tight and mm -hmm. and keep control of it saying all the right things you wanted to hear at the time and totally mm. hugely convincing yeah you're like okay why would i not do we've been there andy haven't we i remember we certainly have yeah on the, the dare the first guy who was supposed to be making that with us he you know came through someone reputable but it was a bit mental that's the thing is that you you always expect someone else to in the industry who's been there longer to know what they're doing <laughs> and you sort of have to trust that they do but often when they don't know any better than you or they don't know the project any better than you especially if it's a smaller thing that you you've brought up from day one and i think sometimes you have to sort of trust your own instincts on it and i think when you're starting out it's hard though isn't it because you don't know anything like you were saying tom you don't know how do i produce a movie how do you, you don't know so anyone else coming along you sort of take their word that they know what they're doing even if they've made a really low budget movie or they've made something because they've made something i went through 10 years of that with a load of producers who all talked a good game but nothing really moved forward or nothing worked out or it just didn't happen so when someone comes along and says yeah we can make it for this budget which is what happened with the dare in the first place lower budget cool let's do it but then so like i say problems arise and it isn't really what you think and actually you're the one who has to push the boat and I think a lot of indie filmmakers coming up or making the first film think someone else is going to do it for them. And the answer is they're not, because why would a big person, you know, a big producer come on board your project? They've got plenty of other things to be getting on with, like their big projects, let alone come on yours that you might shoot on two iPhones. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that a lot of indie filmmakers forget or don't realise when starting out. I didn't. I thought, why would no one want to jump on my big projects? Why wouldn't they? Why should they? I think is more to the point. What makes you so special about them jumping on your project? What's so good about it? And the, and like I say, the script here for All My Friends Hate Me, I, I love this film. Oh, good. Thank I'm you. I'm looking forward to Andy's thoughts on this as well. Honestly, it, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. It yeah. was <laughs> just so great. And the paranoia and the insider's mind that you go what's real what's not is it just him is it the, the whole thing was just brilliant brilliantly well made i thought it was so well produced it felt like a big big budget it felt like it was a lot of you know thought gone into it and i'm sure it did but you know telling all these problems are fascinating to hear uh, from watching it and Andy, i'm sure you felt the same was this is a brilliant group of filmmakers who know what the fuck they're doing we can drop the trailer in it's a perfect time do you want to give us the pitch of what the movie's about uh wonderful editor toby can drop the trailer in yeah so it's called all my friends hate me it's a dark comedy about social paranoia um and it's basically about a guy 
whose old friends from uni uh, host this party for him. And one by one over the weekend, they kind of all start turning against him. And he's not sure whether maybe he like did something wrong at university that they're punishing him for, uh, or if there's some kind of weird joke going on he doesn't get, or if it's all in his head and it sort of, it goes from there. Guys. I feel like I say they're really not stereotypical hush people. To rabbit. Clipped in. Yeah, these last few years have been so crazy and uh, I feel bad that I haven't been back more. Who else is going to be there? Just the old gang. Plus some random guy called Harry that they picked up in a pub. Sorry, I probably introduced myself to the birthday boy. Heard a lot about you. Apparently you're one of the funniest guys on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of proposing. Oh, mate, that's awesome. Yeah, you're making up for your past crimes. What do you mean, past crimes? <laughs> Listen, Pete, this weekend so far, I mean, you've been a bit crap, haven't you? What? <laughs> you know, I'm seeing a therapist. <laughs> that's good. We always hope you do that one day. You didn't hear that, did you? Saying things about me. Hey, chill out. Sorry. People are just paranoid about everything that happened yesterday. They're all being mean. Oh, whoops! I just don't know what's going on. You're just a bit anxious. That's nothing new, right? This is for you, isn't it? Yes. And enjoy yourself, then. I don't know what the surprise is yet, do you? I'm <laughs> Cheer up, mate. It's not loaded. <laughs> Seems to me like you're never in on the joke. Everybody loves you, PD. That was loaded, actually. This film, like me and Andy have said, I loved it. I loved it. And it's fascinating to hear these sort of the issues that go on and the troubles we have as filmmakers to get it made. Let's jump back a step even further to you writing this then and writing it with Tom Sturton, who is a fantastic actor and he's amazing in the lead role as well. Uh, I've seen him around a bit in stuff and I think he's, absolutely brilliant and he's really really good in this film as this sort of he just doesn't say what he means and or he's a he's, he kind of thinks i'm gonna say something that was a bit odd and then doesn't holds it in and it's wonderful it's a wonderful performance well, let's talk about the writing process of this why this project what was it about this and how did you write it together we are um kind of from the sketch comedy world so we've done edinburgh festival and we've written little bits and pieces for TV, but but mainly sort of live comedy. Yeah, we've got a, a long working relationship. We we write well together and we, we tend to, in terms of process, we tend to like need to sit in the same room or share the same screen and kind of write it line by line and we sort of improvise it as we go. I guess that's like from, from the days when we used to eventually have to stand up and like, you know, perform it. So so that's a kind of hangover of, of that technique, which I think works really well for us. Um, and... Um, it kind of helps a lot. Yeah, it just helps a lot of the dialogue flow. And I guess we brought a lot of that kind of s sort of strict 
sketch technique to to a lot of the scenes you know you've got to be so tight with your sketches and and have your like twists at the end and your finishes and you know your pacing and your tension and whatever so we we, we like to think that a lot of each each scene, I guess, is kind of almost written like a sketch in, in this film. We sort of started with this idea um, that came from Tom where he was at, he was at a wedding and um, uh, he just got it into his head that he'd been invited as a joke. And um, he got really paranoid and he, he sort of had this vision of, of the, the groom announcing um, uh, during a speech like, oh, the funniest thing is that Tom Stern thought he was invited to this wedding. And then everyone would turn around and laugh at him. And he told me this story and, and, you know, it's a kind of, it's weirdly sort of recognizable feeling, but it's also something that I was like, that's really funny how narcissistic that is that you were like making yourself the protagonist at someone else's <laughs> wedding, um, giving yourself this sort of horror, horror movie, um, uh, you know, st structure to your, to your evening. But also at the same time, you know, from his subjective perspective, that is a like really frightening idea. And so we kind of wanted to just write something about that feeling, the feeling that, yeah, all my friends hate me, the feeling that um, you're being judged, that everything you're saying is being sort of dissected and watched and that like there is some big conspiracy and, and joke about you and how, how easily that feeling can kind of slip into your head. It's like the whole film is a sort of a representation of the feeling of the of the blue ticks on WhatsApp, you know, where it's just like, you know, why haven't they re replied? And like the kind of narratives you can build out in your head um, that are just so grand and like, and, you know, scary um, from, from something so small. So it's about chasing that feeling really. Um, and we just started with this idea of a guy, it's his birthday party. He's really excited. He gets, he gets there and like, no one's there. Uh, and then we just kind of literally followed that feeling from from then on, scene by scene, uh, just trying to sort of just capture what what that um, the essence of that feeling is. And that's why it kind of turned into this horror comedy is kind of it's not a very it's almost quite misleading because it's not it's not really a horror comedy, but it's funny and nightmarish at the same time. And um, that was the kind of balance we were trying to strike. I love it. So where did you go like, from there? That process of this is really we've got the script we were in a good place mm. andrew gaynor the director's now saying yes let's do this how did you then move forward from that so then you know you know i feel like we've we've covered the dodgy film financier and um but he was still sorry on that he was still there though was was he yeah there? so he was he was there right up until we filmed it so he just left during filming i found out at the end of filming so the the gory detail is and this is all factually true, so I can say it. I eventually called up one of his investors who he had shown me, this guy had shown me a contract that this investor had signed, proving that the money was going to come in, which I was obviously very convinced by, because why would you mess around with a, with a contract? Mm -hmm. um, and I eventually called this guy up, sort of, you know, behind the back of this film financier character because he'd said, oh, I don't want you talking to the investors, you'll put them off, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I called this guy up and he was like, uh, okay. I, I have never heard of that figure before. He said, I have been talking about investing in the project, but I have paid a small amount of money to this guy. <gasps> and I was like, whoa, well, that hasn't hit our account. Um, and that was the penny dropping moment oh, and then I looked through all the emails again and you know all these all these figures he'd written were like it was just initials he'd put you know it was like NWT um 10,000 like and I was like oh god I've I've not noticed but they're all kind of like initials and sort of 
they, they have they weren't quite committed to a name you know it was all this kind of like sort of made Cryptic, up, fuss. Made up yeah and, and I guess if there is you know I feel like I did do a lot of my due diligence with him and I and I kind of feel like I, I was suspicious but I was kind of being talked down a bit because it was like hey it's you know it's it's low budget indie filmmaking like mm. this kind of you know it's all a bit murky and like I'm sure you'll get it done and blah 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 invoices will be a bit late but the money will come in and like you've got to keep the peace and you know one thing I think I could have done is be like if these people are going to invest I need names and I need to meet them or I need to I need to have a phone conversation with them because I guess mm-hmm. at that point it would have been clear that they were kind of that it was it was bullshit basically but you're also living in that and I totally understand why you didn't um I, because when I on my first sort of ones I trusted because you were scared that if like he said to you and he forced you to do that by saying no no don't you'll put them off then you went oh god I don't want to put them off not that you would but that went through your mind so you think gosh no if I do that I better not I've got to trust these people but it's actually of course you should have rang and of course the investors should want to speak to the filmmakers and you pitch it to them yeah, now I do yeah. that on three day millionaire of course the first thing I did to find out if the investors were real was I spoke to them myself you know I had that conversation okay this is what we do and now of course you do that and you do that move forward but when you first start you do trust you know you have to you know someone's saying i've got an investor you also were scared as well and this is true if you had have spoken to them beforehand you might not have made the film and this is interesting right because now you've got this brilliant film but if you had have spoken to them them before you might have gone oh my god we haven't got oh we haven't got all the money Uh, it's all falling down and then not made the film so it's that interesting balance isn't it you got the film made so we're scared of of that truth sometimes yeah it's it's a funny lesson to draw really because Mm. i guess if it wasn't for this guy we probably would not have made that film which is which is you know uh not a piece of advice I would want to pass on. Like, Ever. You know. <laughs> and you've got to thank him in your Oscar speech now. <laughs> if it wasn't for this guy, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. Well, strangely enough, he keeps putting his name on the IMDb credits under special thanks. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, these people do this? It's, it's, yeah. it's so that, I, I don't know, I've, I, like I say, when the, the tens or so years I was trying to make a film, the amount of people who were doing it for that kind of credit or doing it so that you could almost, they go into another meeting to say, oh, I'm doing this other project with so-and-so and so-and-so, but also I'm doing this one with you. So to leverage I don't know, to keep turning up in meetings, to keep going to red carpet events. I don't know why they do it. What's the point in going around lying? But there is there is lots of them out there who seem to do this. Walk around saying, yeah, I've got you the money. But they haven't got anything. They're leveraging you off someone else. Uh, it's crazy. So just ju- again, just jumping back a tiny bit here. Um, how did you go about finding the other investors anyway that you had these 10, 20 grand? And how did you approach them? So this was the interesting thing. You know, he, he said to me like you know i can get you know x amount of the budget but you know that that amount you were you were looking to raise for the for the iphone version um you know you you get that and that will kind of make up the the third that we'll be missing or whatever which i was like great okay cool you know this 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 makes sense you know um I, i feel like i can get that money um and the reason i felt like that is that it's basically a lot of fans of our um our sketch shows and 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 a really really stupid YouTube thing we did back at university called High Renaissance Man about a 
posh student who tries to put on a techno night and it all goes wrong. And it was just like a bit of a kind of, it, there was, it was a bit of a thing about it at university and like people found it funny or whatever. Anyway, we're now like 10 years on from university. A lot of those friends and fans of that work have gone on to get proper jobs and like, and you know, are like ma making money as lawyers or accountants or whatever. Uh, and I had spoken to them before about like, you know, we want to do a film one, one day and, 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 you know, occasionally people would be like, oh, well, let, let me know. Like, I'd love to be a part of that or whatever. So I set out and um, just, you know, just hammered, like <laughs> hammered away at emails and, and call people up. And I had the script and I had a little pitch deck um, and we had Andrew on board and we had like, you know, a little game plan. And obviously, you know, we had the excitement that like, this is only going to be some of the budget and then there's going to be more to come. Did you know at that point to, you obviously to set up the limited company and to set up the bank accounts and to make sure you're showing them the waterfalls of what the film will hopefully make and sales estimates. What, how did you get through those choppy waters? So I had produced a short film before and I knew, uh, and I knew about sort of setting up the company and setting up the company account. Um, I knew about, EIS, but I discovered that that was going to be really hard to do because you kind of need a lot more, you need a, a proof of much more traffic, don't you, through your company mm -hmm. um, you do, yes. uh, before you can get EIS status. It's not as easy as people say it is to get EIS approval either these mm. days as well with your film companies, by the way, everyone. It's really difficult. So be careful when you're saying to your investors, mm. oh, don't worry, we'll get you EIS. There's no guarantee these days that can happen, even though I know my good friend Andy Patterson is speaking to the BFI and the funds at the moment to try and change the system. So hopefully things will change very soon. But right now you cannot guarantee it. So do not say I'm guaranteeing it to investors because it might come back in your face. Absolutely. Um, and um, so that, but that was fine. And, and actually, it kind of felt like it was going to be a bit more complicated to do at EIS and, and you know, sell shares and whatever. I started to learn about, you know, project finance and waterfall systems and, and how how the money would flow back. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? It's not easy. Yeah. It's funnily enough, it was, it's sort of, when you don't work in business or law, it almost feels more simple. It's just like, okay, let's say you put in two grand and it's a 200 grand budget, you know, that's your stake in the film. That's the percentage of the profits that you're going to get back or of the returns you're Return going to get back. Of you get back yeah. yes. But actually when you speak, when you speak to a corporate lawyer and they're used to like shares and, you know, um, share exchanges and like, they're like, what is this? <laughs> um, because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's actually quite, an, uh, you know, it's it's not a very sort of, yeah, I guess it's not common in like big business. That's all about floating companies and selling shares, or whatever. But anyway, um, it seemed to make sense to me. And, you know, we had some investors contracts that um, that this other guy had, had provided. And we were able to, yeah, basically just secure, um, yeah, about a third of the budget that way. Um, Amazing. And, um, Huge congrats. Thank you. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, it was, it was stressful, but I have to say that part was, it was quite thrilling. Like I got quite into the sort of the pitch and the charming and the like, seeing, seeing if you can up the number a bit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the joy of when they say, yes, I am. And they sign that contract and then the money goes in the account is unbelievable that you've raised something from something you've written or an idea or whatever or something you're trying to make to do that and for to you know almost convincing people it's a huge risk uh, investing in film of course it is but it is also there's so much reward from doing it 
and it, it, from those investors. And it's incredible what a team you can build and they see something in you, Tom, and your team that went, yeah, I'm going to invest in this because I see a future with this these people. And that's usually what they're investing in is you and the future. This film, great. If it does well, brilliant. But the next ones and the next ones, they want to be part of that. Um, and obviously you've proven here that, you know, it's, it's ridiculously successful and great reviews on this film and, you know, fingers crossed for the next ones for you. But, you know, you are being backed by someone. Someone is literally investing in you. Um, this is a little bit cheesy, but someone was, was talking about how the word credit comes from the Latin credo, which is like, I believe, you know, so it's like, mm. I believe in your project. And I think something that I have learned since that I think I should have been saying at the time is like, it's a three to five year cycle, because actually, I've been really surprised by how long it's taken for money to, to physically come back into the into the bank account. You know, we, we, when were we, I suppose we were securing investment in 2019 or the first round of it. And, you know, only this summer was, was money trickling back in, um, uh, and investors could physically get that money out of their account. Well, this is the fascinating thing about film is it can keep paying out forever my friend uh, was the editor on monty python films and he still gets a check i know that was ridiculously successful and da, 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 but he still gets a check to this day every month and he's like i don't have to do anything else so it, it's one of those things that and he's obviously not at the top of the waterfall either he's somewhere in the producer's net profit so you think what those investors are getting from the hanway and those film companies so if you're part of that company and you're part of that world and you're one of the investors and you're coming out first you can be getting money for the rest of your life and that's what's so exciting i feel about investing in indie film for the you know what you managed to get on yours and what we've managed to get on ours is it is the, the, the returns can be so huge in the long run if it's in any way successful but also the afterlife of you know you're in cinemas now and then you've got your home entertainment your streaming services and then you're going on to uh, normal tv if you like and then you're on airplanes and then you're on gosh the cycle then goes back round and if one of your actors become super super famous then it comes back round again or if it just gets another lease of life or it's a five-year anniversary or a 10-year anniversary it plays again in cinemas it, the life keeps going with movies forever someone will always say oh we want to stream that and there's a new you know the next netflix you go on that or whatever it is and that cycle of life with films they last forever if they're good and yours definitely is good so how was it producing on set it's your first time like you say of making a feature how talk us through the difficulties talk us through the things that you would potentially do differently next time and things that our listeners could learn from well um going back to like all the, back to the casting process um mm. loved that really again like i felt felt like we made very risky decisions or like we didn't go for the safest option um when it came to the way we saw the characters um like we had a great casting director and i would i would definitely you know, like that, that's definitely proved to be a, a crucial factor because we imagined some of the characters very differently. Um, and we mm -hmm. were like, oh, let's, let's get him. We know him, let's cast him, whatever. And then you see these tapes and, and, and you, someone just like jumps out and it's like not how you imagined the character at all, but they're doing something really different and really kind of, uh, yeah, just like eye catching. And maybe they're not as big a name as the other person you were thinking of, but but you're like, let's do it. This guy seems great or whatever. Um, so that was really thrilling. Again, like, 
you know, being in control of that. That was great. Lucy Rand was your casting director. And just to list off some of your actually amazing cast, uh, Georgina Campbell, obviously Christopher Fairbank, people will know from many films, uh, Joshua Maguire, who's it's so funny and great and so much stuff. Uh, Dustin Demery Burns, who's brilliant as Harry, Antonia Clark, Graham uh, Dixon, Kieran Hodgson and uh, Charlie Clive, your main cast, and obviously Tom Sturton uh, as your lead. Just, just all brilliant, and all. So I've seen them in so many things. I think I tried to cast Georgina in something as well recently. Um, just all really cool, brilliant, brilliant cast, really good. And then I also loved assembling the the crew as well. And like you know, at this point, I, I am. I have been told by the guy that I am going to be the main producer, and he's going to kind of take a back seat. Well, how did he do that? You're not on set by this point. You're just about how many weeks away? Yeah, we're kind of a few weeks away. Okay. And yeah, he was kind of like, congratulations, you got the you got the promotion and like, <laughs> you're, you know, you're, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, uh, oh. Yeah, he's like, you can be producer and I think I'm going to step back as exec. Well, that must have put the living shit up you. You'd be like, well, yeah, kind of. But also I was kind of noticing I was doing a lot of it myself anyway. And he was one of those people that was just like, didn't reply to emails and like suddenly was like missing for a few days. And like, it was just like, it, it felt like I was, I was running the show anyway. So in a way I was like, great. Okay. Well, that'll make it less complicated. You just go and find the money. And how much were you short at this point? So you're two weeks out ish. Yeah. Well, well, things we're never, we're never short according to him because we're always, it's all tied up and it's all just going to take some time. And it's, you know, don't worry. At this point you had some money in the bank, obviously to pay for kit and hire and crew so we have some money in the back and then we're sure i mean we're about 100 grand short um, okay i mean that's not in the bank yeah that's a lot especially when you're relying on a tax credit or whatever and so suddenly your budget now was that and now you've got half of that minus the tax credit where you can't get the full tax credit unless you've got all the money so therefore suddenly your budget is much smaller and you've got to make sure you can pay everyone with that and that's it's a frightening place to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm. Um, but again, it's my first film. Apparently this is how it works and it comes in on set and, you know, and whatever. And so at this stage I am, you know, it's very close to production. I have been told it's all down to me. I'm pretty freaked <laughs> out, but I'm, you know, excited. Like, You're dealing with con, it, yeah. You know, it's, it's an adventure either way. Um, and I had a really helpful chat with someone who sort of is a development producer at a, at a big company and, and had done this kind of shoot before. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm out of my depth. Like, what do I do? Like, and she was like, what do you not understand? And I was like, well, well, I guess kit is something that's definitely like a weak point. I don't really know what the DEP is asking me for and like, well, that's all going to cost and whatever. And then I was like, and then spreadsheets and essentially like line producing. I didn't know what that mm. was, but like, that's what I was saying was like, I need a line producer. So she, the person I was getting advice from was like, it sounds like what you need is a line producer and you need to say, I, I don't understand kit and I don't want to deal with um, Excel spreadsheets because, you know, I don't want that pressure whilst I'm trying to produce everything else. So then um, I started putting the word out and having interviews with prospective um, line producers found this uh, incredibly talented and brilliant savior called Esme Hicks, who, who is now actually on the credits as co-producer because she did so much. Um, Amazing. And she was like, yeah, I do know about Kit and I do know about um, spreadsheets and like 
budgeting and like I, w- I will definitely take this role of the line producer so I was like great I feel like in, I'm in such safe hands now since we've wrapped the film and we've all met up and have drinks uh, had drinks and stuff um, she has told me that she didn't know what a line producer was when she, <laughs> when she had that, that that initial chat with me blind leading the blind it's amazing yeah blind leading the blind um, and we were all just bluffing it but thank god we had this there was something about this DP, Ben, who was just um, so, you know, so talented and had such a great vision. And also just, he was just calm. He was just always just like, yeah, yeah, we can shoot that in that time. Or like, okay, fine. So we can't use a car for that. Don't worry, we'll do it like this or whatever. And it was so helpful. I feel like if we'd had someone a bit younger and less experienced who was like really trying to prove themselves through this shoot, that maybe they would have been a bit more freaked out by you know, sudden, sudden instances where we couldn't, we couldn't shoot it that way, or we didn't have the budget or like, maybe we'll have to move this to, to night instead of day or whatever. So I always, yeah, look back at that, at that decision to, to get Ben on board as like a really, just a call that, that paid off on set. Um, I felt, yeah, he was kind of steering, steering the ship in, in many ways. So as you don't, a line producer is the one who will deal with, uh, paying people, making sure everything's going through the accounts properly, um, and making sure that under them, the production manager and uh, coordinator are often in sync as well as with the producer as well. So the line producer is there. It's literally called that because they're dealing with lines on a page. I don't know if that's actually true, but I like using it like that. That's what I've heard. Right? Yeah. 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 And they yeah. deal so with the money. It. They deal with uh, giving petty cash line items to people to pay for things uh, on set and before and afterwards as well. Just in case you didn't know. And if you're a DP, they're the people you have to negotiate with for kids. Yeah. <laughs> they're the ones who say, I want all this kit and you, you have to really say yeah. you can't you have really lenses want... Andy can't you shoot without no. lenses I can give you one lens <laughs> one lens a biscuit and it's a zoom one <laughs> <laughs> now at this point you haven't got all the money so when was the moment on set that you knew this and how many people did you tell did you obviously because you don't want to go wrong and hey everyone we've just lost all the money <laughs> yeah I mean this is actually this is probably like a day after we've wrapped okay so you got through the shoot so we got through it the first two weeks of invoices were paid and then the third week was not paid and that's when we wrapped and that's when this guy suddenly went quiet and didn't respond to any texts and that's what led me to eventually call up one of his investors and be like where is this money we really really need it Um, and that's when the penny dropped and all sorts of we had to do all sorts of crazy things at that point because he was still a director of the company that we set up to make the film. And the, uh, you know, we took some advice from some lawyers um, and an accountant who was, who was helping out with the, with the film. And they were like, you know, at this stage, he could be taking loans out against the company legally. So you kind of need to play it like, you kind of need to need to play good cop really, even though you know what's going on, because it takes like, I think it took, a week or two weeks to um to fire someone through company's house so that's all going on whilst we're like (laughs) you know keeping this guy sweet as it were um and that's where we found out his his exit clause because we were trying to calm him down and stop him from taking out loans against the company or doing anything crazy that we would then end up you know having to be, be on the line for so we kind of fed him this information that actually one of our agents was onto a onto a deal with someone and like, don't worry, we've fa- we found a source. 
And straight away, he texted back sort of saying, oh, well, okay, that's great news. Maybe I'll, uh, that might even be better than some of my investors actually. So, so maybe we should just go that route. So, so it was like, okay, that's, that was your exit clause was kind of, that was your, that was your little, um, you know, uh, ejector seat. So what did you do then? So then, so now we have a week's worth of invoices to pay and we just kind of, me and Esme, the co-producer, just kind of like whittled it down and we were like, okay, who really needs this? It was, it was Christmas was approaching, by the way. <laughs> so I was like, who needs this before Christmas? Yeah, was it 2020? So what was it going into no, 2019, 2020? 2019, 2019. Yeah, yeah, going into 2020. Um, okay. And um, we, we took one kind of bridge loan out from a family member, um, which basically tidied us over for a few weeks and just kind of like paid um, some of the the crew uh, the actors were told to wait the t- people like us that were meant to be getting writing fees and director fees and editing whatever everyone we sort of sat down worked out what had happened we talked about you know equity deals and how do we get through this whatever and then our tax credit came through um sort of a few months later and that could pay off the bridge loan um and even had a bit to sort of like you know cover some other people and then it was just basically this other round of of funding where I had to just basically hammer every investor um, again. Um, it was really horrible um, because it was like the, the buzz and the charm had gone. It was just like, please. please. Um, we had yeah. a, a, re- a, a couple of our execs were amazing at just like swooping in and kind of like covering an extra chunk here and there. I put in some of my own money. We took out some, some covid loans which you know were actually quite a good way to loan money um because it was mm-hmm. like interest free for a year and we got through it we just like we we just you know literally patched things up how was your mental state during that time my wife was about to have our baby in oh my March. god and so that so the whole point of this film was like was like we're gonna we're gonna wrap in December and then I could you know then my head's gonna be clear clear they can do the edit yeah 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 you can have a baby uh, um, come back watch it yeah it's good enough yeah, tweak that exactly oh, I'm the best <laughs> Oscars coming away <laughs> <laughs> so in in fact January and February were yeah to I mean my, the worst two months of my life but. I learned so much. I mean, like VAT, for instance, this guy was meant to be doing the VAT return. He just hadn't done it. And so like I had to learn about VAT and how to, you know, claim the VAT back. That really helped. Uh, Tax credit, had to learn about that. Obviously, was speaking to a lot of lawyers and had to learn about my legal rights and stuff. And and yeah, and actually, basically, it's just not, you, you know, basically, unfortunately, it's not worth your while pursuing something like this because you've got to pay for a lawyer and you know, there's a lot of grey area and, you know, he didn't steal money, he just kind of pretended there was money. And like, and if he hasn't got money, where do you even get it from him anyway? Because you've now spent a fortune on lawyers and fees and court fees for him to go, well, I haven't got any money anyway. And they go, well, you win, but he can't pay you. So all the best. Totally. And, 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 that, and that was like, I guess that was a real eye opener that like, you always just imagine that the law is there to protect you. But it's like, you know, so much of it is of, of business is just trust. And like, you know, you just assume that someone is not going to screw you over because then they want to work with you again. But if someone wants to tear up that rule book, um, it's actually very hard to kind of to, to, to get the letter of the law involved, you know. So I learned a lot. It was a horrible two months. But look, we got through it and we got onto the edit. And suddenly I was able to 
start showing cuts to the investors and, you know, start talking about a festival strategy and all this stuff. And, and then it sort of got fun again. <laughs> and, um, and, and as I said before, it, it, you know, we could, we could take a step back and be like, look, at the very least, we've made something on spec. It's totally ours. And we kind of hold a bit of a negotiating card in that, like, we can approach a sales agent and we can have that conversation about the rates and the expenses, knowing that we have a product that we can then take to someone else. Um, and obviously COVID's hitting. So like, you know, there are fewer films out there and there's like, you know, more chance of getting to festivals and, you know, so, mm, um, 100%. you know, we took, we, we, we took the positives from it. A massive game changer was the, the score. Um, composers of two friends of ours, um, really talented musicians, but they hadn't done a, a, a feature film before and they just absolutely nailed it. And, um, they just took the whole film to, to new levels because you could, you could, you know, there's a scene where Tom's like doing his buttons up in the mirror and it's really funny. It's very kind of like, it's almost like Charlie Chaplin-esque physical comedy, but they've put this like really creepy kind of horror sort of introspective score going on in the background. And, and like you could suddenly that scene totally came alive. It had this like real sort of juxtaposed feeling to it. That was just really eye opening to see how much a score can transform a story and just keep you engaged. And actually it sort of raises the, the production values a lot, you know, like you can't afford action, but if you get great music in there, it kind of, it just does something to to the viewer. It just makes you feel like you're watching a proper film. And a good sound mix as well. Shout outs to your composers, Will Lowe's and Joe Robbins, um, just to give them name check there. But sound mix as well is really important. You know, within a film, as soon as you see someone's short or whatever, if the sound mix isn't good, I don't know why you instantly think production values are lower uh, than they would be if the sound is good it's so important people do overlook it a lot and it's vital to get the best sound you can because you know you're working with great dps they will make it look good and everyone spends a lot of time on making it look good and everyone acting very well within those scenes but if it's not recorded with decent sound you have to adr everything i noticed you did a bit of adr there was bits and pieces i did notice but that's because i was that's me i'm literally doing that right now but i still thought it was brilliantly well done i was like oh that's good adr was my note literally wrote that down that was good uh, i don't think anyone else in the world would notice so even something like adr is just interesting how you can fix problems with adr you know you can have characters speaking off screen that you're like Oh, can we, you know, could we reshoot that? Or just, do we just have her saying off screen? So there's a scene, there was a whole scene where Claire, this character explains exactly where she's been. And, you know, it was like a five minute long scene because she, she goes missing for a bit. And actually we just cut that scene and we just had her say off camera, oh, I was at lunch with my aunt as she's sitting Perfect. down. Perfect. And like suddenly you've saved yourself five minutes. So yeah, it's, it's amazing little moments like that can kind of transform stuff so true so in terms of selling the film then and getting it out there and distributed you own it now you own all the rights and you're in that position and you got into the fantastic um tribeca film festival brilliant that opened a lot of doors how did you choose which distributor to go with how was that process for you about making sure you get the right deals and making sure you aren't just signing the film away so first of all it was a struggle to get it into festivals we were just going the film freeway route um i was getting the sense that you know, I just wasn't sure who was seeing it, whether it's being seen. I mean, I know that's like a common feeling people have, but uh, we were just very lucky that 
uh, Tribeca got back to us and, you know, it was just before Christmas 2020. Um, and yeah, just one of their programming team watched it and I think passed it around all the other programmers and they were watching it all over the Christmas break and it just struck a nerve for them. Um, social paranoia, lockdown, New York, everyone's got three shrinks. Like it just seemed to like really sort of find its its audience there. So we knew we were going to premiere out there and that was really exciting. And I'd be listening to all these podcasts like, like this one, like learning about sales and distribution and how it all works. And I basically decided that it was my strategy to launch it in Tribeca, not get a sales agent or a distributor interested beforehand, but actually get a PR company on board um, to kind of promote it out there. And uh, we did a little bit of extra fundraising for that, which was totally worth it. And they were incredible. And, um, you know, we, we we were really lucky to get through to them. And then we were really lucky they liked the film. So they took it on and I was like, look, this is my strategy. We don't have a sales agent. We're going to launch in Tribeca, but we'd love to make a, as big a splash as possible. And then presumably Netflix will call us up and we'll, you know, buy it for five million quid or whatever. <laughs> and, I, and I got to the end of the spiel with them and I sensed this pause and I was like, unless that kind of sounds a bit crazy. And then the woman who ran the PR company was like, that does sound a little crazy. <laughs> and uh, she said, she was like, you know what? You do need a sales agent, but I can set you up with all the people we usually work with. That's how we got through to Endeavor and some other really great high-end American sales companies. Um, and Endeavor was who we went for. And we got a really, I think, great deal with them, which I probably definitely shouldn't <laughs> say the details of, but like, it felt like definitely having the film in the can, you know, this is what you see is what you get. Um, we have the product. It just meant we had that like extra bit of negotiating power to, to, to choose between sales agents. Um, and so we signed with them quickly and then they sold the rights out there to, well, Neon for the US rights, but they have a subsidiary company called Super that handles smaller releases. So they sold the US rights there. Then we got into the BFI London Film Festival, and then they sold the UK rights there. And then the international rights are kind of being sold as as we speak with a company called Level K. Brilliant. That's so good. In those sort of meetings, and it's your first time in those meetings, and it can be scary when they start chucking numbers at you and, you know, uh, you know how much marketing spend they're going to do and all this kind of stuff. That is, like you say, you had to listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books to, to sort of try and understand it. But it's still, and I've been doing quite a while now and trying to understand that it's still sometimes a little bit like oh someone's just hit me in the head with a you know a blunt spanner how or a chop spanner how did you how did you process all that were you again were you getting advice and help because it's really difficult going into some of those and trying to pretend you know what you're talking about if you don't yeah totally well as i said like this is this was probably one part of the process where i felt like i was I was ahead of the game a bit, um, you know, didn't know what I was doing on set, didn't know what I was doing when I was financing it. Um, and, uh, and suddenly these conversations, yeah, it was, it was your podcast and Alex Ferrari's and, you know, the old one here and there. And, and, and I suddenly realized, yeah, I, I just knew what a distributor was. I knew what expenses were. I knew about commission rates and stuff like that. And it was really interesting because I guess I'd been geared up for all the horror stories, which is like, what you hear especially a lot on the Alex Ferrari show and it was weird I was like okay this actually sounds all right and like that does actually sound like a legitimate marketing yeah. expense and that does sound <laughs> like a good commission and funnily enough I sort of 
you know, I've just come so full circle in terms of distributors in that, like, I, I was sort of so ready to like, you, you know, to be antagonistic towards the idea of someone coming in last minute and like, you know, scooping up all the, all the proceeds for doing the, 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 the unrisky bit at the end. But actually, mm-hmm. you know, the way BFI have distributed and marketed this film, it's been, it's been, in, you know, just they've used such skill and, and talent and passion that, you know, you could never do on your own. And, and same with, with Neon in the US. So I've kind of come full circle to thinking like, well, actually distributors are a really, really important part of the process. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that it, it's quite galling at the end to suddenly sell your, you know, labor of love um, yeah. to someone who's basically just going to own a, a decent chunk of it forever. Well, I think that you, you know, you've looked out in a good way because your film's brilliant. Therefore, that helps you get the good distributors, the good people who go, okay, we'll be a fire behind it. And you go in Tribeca. All these little things suddenly help to get the right people. Now, a lot of people get the wrong end of the stick in this industry because they don't necessarily understand film distribution and sales side and therefore they sign a deal they shouldn't sign with a company that isn't reputable so therefore there's a lot of stories going around like you say of of, oh i got ripped off at the end or this happened was actually it's knowing that side of the business so you don't get ripped off or at least you do the deal that you're happy with to say well i did this deal you have to go in knowing that you can't go in expecting them to to give you the best deal why would they it's a business after all it's about making money so that is totally totally valid and totally important so then there's a brilliant um facebook group called predatory distributors or something it's along as if you search predatory distributors alex ferrara you'll find it but on there is so many horror stories and so many companies that they're saying don't go with i know other people have since gone with companies who have been mentioned on there but anyway it's really worth looking at for our listeners out there find that uh, facebook page and you've so much information on distribution and, and sales with smaller companies especially in indie film where people don't want your film uh, and it's it's difficult for them to sell so totally understand that look all my friends hate me is is brilliant you've you've proved what you can do tom you really have with this by literally going in blind and going ah someone hold my hand this guy'll hold my hand he's also saying he's got money actually you can't hold my hand and he's got no money and you're left holding this chip up with as many um, (laughs) arms as you can and you've done brilliantly mate you really have it's a testament to hanging in there through all those dark times um and those difficult moments because the result here is fantastic and it really is and you can go on now to do another one in much safer hands i feel um you know with other people around you to help that uh study the ship with you but it's incredible um really is what's what is next then what's really nice now is that so we're, we're kind of exclusively writing um uh, feature screenplays we got really hooked on it but yeah it's it, we've got a few scripts that we've kind of that are kind of pretty much finished you know script wise um and what what's nice now is that for example we've got one where it's like well we'll try and make it the the movie star five million dollar way but worst comes to worst maybe we can we can do another you know diy project and so it's nice looking at these projects and being like okay we have that we have the skill set we have the contact contacts um, we have the, the the knowledge to know that it's it's possible, and so we'll try and pitch these scripts to you know to, to bigger distributors to 
production companies that want to attach stars and package things up, but all the while knowing, you know, maybe if nothing's happening in a couple of years, we'll just um, we'll just do it ourselves. There's a tiny, um, really tr- trivial thing that I regret, which is not taking on-set stills serious enough. Um, yes, we, we had a guy point. who was good, but we kind of mm. had him just for like an afternoon and we, we only had a few and like it's interesting seeing the price you pay right at the end of the journey you know mm-hmm. when you're when you're delivering stills to press and like distributors and sales agents and it's like actually that tiny thing is very important that's just a little uh, niche bit of advice no tom it's so good you said you've probably heard us talk about it on this podcast i bang on about it to any producers i meet as well anyone who reaches out and says oh i'm about to go in production i say get a stills person there every day if you can even if it's you taking the photos take those damn photos of the actors recreating stuff i know it takes up time but it's like you say it's so important it's vital when selling your films and actually most distributors ask for over a hundred quality stills so you must have those you can't be just them stood against a white wall or a couple from your your director mate or whatever your a couple of pas on set with all the crew in it no they don't want those they want actors doing actory things on set uh, and you have to do it it's a great note to make there tom just to sort of wrap up and be really interesting to know this so-called producer investor that isn't either of those things what happened did he totally disappear has he been knocking on the door since the film has come out it'd be interesting to know he after some uh you know stern legalistic email exchanges which was very interesting getting him on email because he didn't have that gift of the gab you know he couldn't he couldn't like talk you into stuff um he had to answer direct questions you know is this signature real um were those investors real and that you noticed reading the emails back that just the questions weren't answered, you know, and that was his modus operandi was just kind of like getting around stuff. So look, he has um, stepped back from the film industry. That was the last I heard um, from him. I unfortunately since heard that an actor who was setting up uh, plays on Zoom during lockdown um, had been approached by him and he wanted to sort of help him monetize the the thing. And, And luckily this actor, you know, received a red flag before he got to the point of setting setting something up. So the word is out on him, luckily. Um, and, you know, you never know with these people. Uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's not good what he's doing, but I don't know what his sort of mental state is right, is, is like. And, um, you know, I hope he just sort of gets better and doesn't, doesn't do that kind of thing again. But, um, uh, but yeah, just be warned in in general. Just like always, worth that extra bit of due diligence and and uh, yeah, ask to meet ask to meet your investors face to face if if possible. Great tip, and it's so true with any sort of way of life that you're doing as well. Is speak to the person. People always sort of do it through someone else a lot of the time because it's easier to hide. But the the best thing you can do is go to the top straight away. If it's a, if you're speaking to a casting director or you're speaking to someone and you're trying to get to that actor call the agent if you're trying to find some money through someone speak to that person directly or that that producer or that uh, line producer or go direct never go do the middleman if you're the producer if you're the one trying to make things happen yeah great advice there tom all my friends hate me is out in cinemas now uh, it is playing at the castle cinema in hackney uh, all this week do go support this is 
a brilliant film. It's a brilliant debut from Tom, um, from both the Toms who've a debut writing a feature, uh, I, I believe. So huge congrats to you. Tom, thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible podcast. Thank you very much for doing that. Oh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for all the advice that I've taken along the way of making this film. I thank you very much. This is what this podcast was <laughs> about, what, what we set it up for, wasn't it, Andy, to help people uh, along the way. And if we've done that in any way, that means the world to us. It's, it's great. So you can do it. You can go out and make your film, your indie film, on an iPhone, or on a bigger camera, whatever it is you want to do. You just need a great, need a great <laughs> DP <laughs> who won't question it. That's all I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, be very wary of uh, people saying they have money. Question everything. Do your due diligence and ask the right questions. And if you're lucky enough to make your film, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send it down. No, to us. no. Still, send <laughs> no, the elevator sorry. back down and support the others. That's but the yes, you can send it. it to us yeah. too. Please, you know, it's what we're here for to help each other. Uh, brilliant. We will see you next Tuesday, as always. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you. Cheers, Tom. <laughs>